location is neither in its original condition nor in its final condition. Remember that. It's not what we see today, as majestic and awesome as it is, and we do see His eternal power and divine nature, but someone could, and people do, they might see the intricacy and the majesty, but they don't, and they rightfully would say, yeah, but when I'm out there in it, uh, I enjoy it on certain days, but on other days it's very threatening, and in some days there's storms that rip through, and why is that? And if God is good, and you know, the questions can be raised, well, the scripture answers. The creation has been subjected to futility. And things aren't what they're meant to be, and they're not what they're going to be yet. Though you can still see the reflection of God's eternal power and divine nature. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Awaiting Glory. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Well, if you want to take your Bible and turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. Someone might ask, in fact, I think it's a common, uh, it's a common uh, question in people's minds, whether they verbalize it or not. If you Christians are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and that's what we've been looking at, we looked at last time, if you are really heirs of Christ. Why doesn't it look like it? Why doesn't it look like it? And the Scripture answers that suffering precedes glory. It did so in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, although He was in glory from all eternity, voluntarily, willingly laid aside His glory and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You look in the Old Testament and the prophets, Peter tells us, they were constantly looking ahead, and they spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And this is consistent throughout Scripture. In fact, uh, listen to what... This is an amazing text. Uh, We do see Him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. I Every time I read that, it's out of Hebrews 2, verse 9 and 10. I'm shocked that it was fitting for whom are all things, through whom are all things, Jesus Christ, the King of kings. It's fitting, the Scripture says, that he, in bringing many sons to glory, was perfected through sufferings. And uh, Jesus Christ said, A slave is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you also. And he prepared us for suffering. And if you look at uh, Romans 8, verse 17, where we left off, it says, If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 
And I pointed out last time that is not an if as a question. It is an if of statement. He's saying, since we suffer, we will be glorified with him. Because we suffer, we will be glorified with him. Now, mark it well. Suffering for the believer. I'm talking about the believer, and so is Paul. Paul is speaking of the believer, not the unbeliever. That's a whole other issue. If you're here without Christ, I can't guarantee you anything about your problems that you're facing right now or the health problems that you might face tomorrow or the financial problems or any other kinds of sufferings. If you're here without Christ, I'm not speaking right now to you, although I want you to listen in because I would say come to Christ and enjoy what we're going to be talking about here. But for the believer... For the Christian, for the child of God, the one led by the Spirit, the one who has the Spirit bearing witness with His Spirit that He's a child of God. For the believer, suffering, far from being somehow a sign of divine displeasure or a lack of faith, which is often taught even from pulpits today, that if there's some suffering going on in your life, maybe it's uh, maybe you don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have to be sick. And on and on, uh, teaching goes that uh, seems to indicate that suffering is a sign of God's displeasure. Far from it being indication that there's something wrong with you, look at verse 17. Suffering is actually proof of sonship. I mean, read it with me again. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Suffering is one of the means by which the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a proof of sonship. How did they treat Christ when He was here? (laughs) Now, don't expect better treatment, Jesus said. And in fact, what happened with our Lord? Suffering preceded glory. That's the same way it is with us. The the cross came before the crown, if you will. Now, this suffering, this suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. This suffering is not pointless. It has a purpose. And this suffering causes us to eagerly await the glory that he's got for us. Now, keep those three things in mind, and let's read the whole text, and then we'll go back and kind of look at it. But uh, this suffering is not worthy to be compared. It's not pointless, and it causes us to eagerly anticipate the glory to be revealed to us. I consider, Paul says, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation also itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God." For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, 
waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. The present suffering isn't worth mentioning in the same breath, Paul says, with the future glory, though the Bible often does. But just about always, it tells us this very truth. Uh, we don't lose heart, Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, remember? We do not lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, we talked about that last time. And uh, I know that the sufferings of this present time are very real. I know that some of you right now are really suffering. But God's Word says it's not worth comparing to the glory. What glory that must be and how it causes us to long for that day when we'll be with Him, to realize that everything we're experiencing right here and now is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Secondly, it's not pointless. It's not pointless. Or if you want to turn that around and state it negatively, it is with purpose. It is with purpose. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Suffering refines individual believers and looked at globally, if you will. Look at verse 22. The whole creation suffers the pains of childbirth. Now, the pains of childbirth have purpose, don't they? Whenever a woman is in travail, Jesus said, she has sorrow because her hour has come. We men, we don't know much about that. But our wives can tell us, yes, it's very real. But when the child is born, she what? Did Jesus go on and say? She forgets the sorrow for joy that she's brought a child into the world. John 16. We're going to take a, another look at that next time together in this chapter because it's so, it's so germane. But you see, God is birthing something. And the sufferings of this present time are called the pains of childbirth. And though the pains of childbirth are real, mother after mother says it was worth it as they hold their baby in their arms. And uh, God uses that language here. And so we can say it's not pointless or we can say, state it the positive way, it is with purpose. Whatever God's doing right now, He's doing for a purpose. And we will see it individually in our lives. We're going to see it globally. We're going to see it universally. Read the end of the book. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. I mean, it's exciting to think about. Okay, and then thirdly, and this goes without saying, it causes us 
to await the day of glory with eager anticipation. And that really marks the passage. Look at verse 19. The anxious longing waits eagerly. Verse 23, waiting eagerly. Verse 25, wait eagerly. These terms are strong terms of anticipation. Eager anticipation, waiting. It's a strengthened form of of, a verb that actually meant to receive from. I mean, we're waiting for that day. The the, uh, sufferings now just increase our anticipation for that day, and we can't wait to receive from the Lord. You could picture uh, children eagerly anticipating. Maybe you put the presents under the tree, you know, and they're tempted to look at them and shake them and count the days. That's why we don't put them under the tree around our house. I remember as a kid, it was just like, uh, and your focus becomes what you're looking at. By the way, apply that spiritually. We ought to be regularly thinking about what God has waiting for us. And we will become more and more eager in our anticipation. But the whole message of the whole passage is just that there is an eager anticipation. Now, this present suffering and the future glory combine to create an anxious longing that is combined with, notice, groaning. Groaning. Again, look at it with me. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves also, verse 23, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And interestingly enough, look over at verse 26. The Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this term groan, it's the idea of sighing and waiting and feeling pressure and being down in a narrow point where there's nowhere to turn and you have no resources in and of yourself and you groan. And we use the term that way all the time, don't we? We just groan. There's like a sigh. It's like a cry. The whole creation is groaning. And you can outline the whole passage around that term. And in fact, let me show you. Verses 19 through 22, the whole creation groans as it eagerly awaits glory. Verses 23 through 25, we believers, we groan as we eagerly await the glory. And verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit, during this waiting period, He's actually interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's how I would outline the passage, and we'll take a close look at that. But let's just look at the first one. Let's just look at the first one, verses 19 through 22. The whole creation groans as it eagerly awaits glory. You see, God's purposes are creation-wide. When man sinned, man messed up a lot more than just man. When Adam sinned, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that came under problem. The whole creation uh, fell under the curse. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. You go back and read it in Genesis 3. And the curse wasn't merely on Adam. When man sinned, 
he messed up more than man. The creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, uh, frustration, uh, transitoriness. It's just a, it's the word that the Greek, uh, translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, and remember, he said, vanity of vanities. That's the term here. It's just empty. What, what's it all about? The futility. The creation was subjected to futility. It cannot be what it was meant to be. There's a frustration. There's an emptiness. There's a futility that the creation was subjected to. And so it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but the garden itself. All of a sudden, there's problems and thorns and thistles. And you, you know, that's carried over, isn't it? You talk to any gardener today and you don't just let it, let it go and it'll just produce. No, no. It'll be futile. Uh, this garden is subjected to futility and just left to itself. It, everywhere you look, that's the way things are. Creation just left to itself goes downhill. Uh, that's the world we live in. In fact, scientists have formulated it into laws, the law of entropy. In a closed system, things tend to deteriorate. The whole system, the whole universe, it seems, is that way. Left to itself, it goes down. And everywhere you look, uh, that's the way things are. By the way, the Bible teaches, and Romans 8 teaches, that the creation is neither in its original condition nor in its final condition. Remember that. It's not what we see today as majestic and awesome as it is and intricate and such a testimony to God and the creation itself bears witness to God's character, but it's not in its original condition and it's not in its final condition either. And so Romans 8 is clearly teaching this, and we need to see that and remember it because it is awe-inspiring and it is majestic and it does leave man without excuse. And we do see his eternal power and divine nature, but someone could, and people do, they might see the intricacy and the majesty, but they don't, and they rightfully would say, yeah, but when I'm out there in it, uh, I enjoy it on certain days, but on other days it's very (laughs) threatening. And in some days there's storms that ripped through, and why is that? And if God is good, and you know, the questions can be raised, well, the Scripture answers. The creation has been subjected to futility. And things aren't what they're meant to be, and they're not what they're going to be yet. Though you can still see the reflection of God's eternal power and divine nature. We saw that in Romans chapter 1. Well, somebody asked, how far does this extend? I mean, you know, how far does this extend? And to what extent are things subjected to this futility? How far? I mean, uh, certainly the planet, right? This planet where man sinned. Well, what about the other planets? What about the solar system? What about the galaxies beyond? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if Mars had trouble earlier, but it does now. NASA got there. I mean, you know, you think about it, destruction. (laughs) Everywhere man goes. And in fact, we could speculate, but I would just rather just let the Scripture speak. And look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation, the whole creation, that means what? Everything. 
Because God is the creator. And the creation has been groaning ever since sin entered the picture. And God had to subject the creation to futility. The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Well, how bad is it, though? Well, look at verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. You see, there's a slavery to corruption that is part of the creation as we see it now. And it's going to be set free from that, the Scripture teaches. God who created it and allowed this curse to come in when man sinned and and actually pronounced the curse and subjected creation to this futility, yet he's going to set it free from its bondage, from its slavery to corruption. And we Christians, we ought to know this. God wants us. He puts it right here in Romans 8. It's central to our understanding of things that God is going to set things free from this slavery to corruption. Uh, creation as such now, it's not completely ruined. I mean, it's still the earth bears much bounty for us. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing the beauty of nature and the intricacy and the way God provided the cycles and things and so that we do give him rightfully, we give him thanksgiving. And, you know, in our country, that, that holiday began with the joy of realizing how God provides and how, and see behind the creation, the creator. And so it's very proper when we sit down to a meal, every meal, to say, thank you, Lord. I mean, yeah, it's polite to thank the cook and those who prepared it, and, but the food we have, everything we have is from Him, and so we ought to give thanks. And so it's not completely ruined. It's still a majestic testimony to God. In fact, it still leaves people to where you don't have to say, I don't tell the unbeliever you have to take it by faith. They can just see it. Just look at the creation. Well, I don't see that I can see. Well, they're just talking uh, the blind unbelief, wicked talk. I know that because my Bible tells me that the creation itself, they know. Even though they pretend they don't know, they know. So the creation is still an awe-inspiring, majestic testimony to God. It's not ruined. It still serves its purposes. But not like it will. Not like it will. It's uh, not what it was meant to be, nor what it will be. God's purposes are creation-wide, and He's not done with creation. Now, God's purposes for creation are coincident with the return of Christ. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Awaiting Glory, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. 
You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Togo, and Ivory Coast to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to RomansProject.org or connect with us at Facebook.com slash RomansProject. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. God's purpose for creation is coincident as to timing with when Christ returns in glory. When will creation be renewed and when will things be set straight? In that day when the Lord returns. The creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Or verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, someone says, well, it's not spe- it doesn't say, though, Christ there. It speaks of our glory. Well, that's true. Uh, our glory is coincident with His glory. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Awaiting Glory. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.